Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello and welcome to Pediapod for November 2020. This month, a novel biomarker for pediatric pulmonary hypertension. Pediatric pulmonary hypertension is a heterogeneous disease characterized by sustained elevation of pulmonary arterial pressures and death from right ventricular failure. Given the extremely high burden of morbidity and mortality associated with this disease and the risk of the invasive procedures required for diagnostics, novel biomarkers would be beneficial. Insulin-like growth factors and their binding proteins are an interesting target owing to their roles in myocardial function and metabolism as well as smooth muscle and endothelial growth. In this episode, we meet early career investigator Dr Megan Griffiths from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine who examined two candidate IGF axis proteins as potential predictors of pediatric pulmonary hypertension severity. Here's Megan. So I did my undergraduate actually in history, but ended up deciding that I wanted to go to medical school and fell in love with pediatrics. I, within pediatrics, love cardiology because I really love the physiology portion. I like being able to figure out how things are going to work. And then when I came to my fellowship in pediatric cardiology, I had an interest in research, but didn't really have a lot of experience. Uh, I met with one of our faculty here, Alan Everett, who said, that's fine, I'll just teach you everything. So that's where I started joining his lab meetings and got sucked in. Does pediatric pulmonary arterial hypertension have similarities with the adult disease? Yes and no. I think we've got a long way to go in figuring out what the disease really is and what causes it. Ultimately, pulmonary hypertension is high blood pressure in the lungs that causes right-sided heart failure. But there's any number of causes of that. So in pediatrics, it's often genetics, what we call group three or lung disease associated, which is often from lung disease of prematurity. Congenital heart disease is a big one. 
Whereas in adults, there's a lot of people who have, say, collagen vascular disease. They get scleroderma or something like that, or toxin-associated. They took a drug like Fenfen and developed pulmonary hypertension. So there's these very disparate causes between pediatrics and adults, but ultimately the final common pathway of the disease of high blood pressure in the lungs and right-sided heart failure is the same between adults and children. And so explain the rationale for me then of why you were looking at these insulin-like growth factors in this study and their binding proteins. Well, so it started off just with that discovery study where we looked at what proteins might be different in people with pulmonary hypertension versus healthy people. And those popped up. After that, you really want to start thinking about, well, are any of these things biologically important? Do I really think that some of these things might be a useful thing for me to look at? Or is this just an incidental finding? And so does IGF and its binding proteins kind of fit the bill? Does it mechanistically make sense as something that might be involved in pulmonary arterial hypertension? Yes, it does. So I started looking into it more and found that they're growth factors. It's really the thing that gets released from your liver when your brain releases growth hormone. It's the thing that makes muscle grow. But the other thing that it's essential for is blood vessel growth, and in particular, vascular smooth muscle. And so when I started looking at vascular growth and abnormal vascular growth, I found that insulin-like growth factor and insulin-like growth factor binding protein were very heavily implicated in both of those. And some of the things that they do is help stimulate the blood vessel to actually grow out and sprout, which if you think about a baby who's developing their lungs and they need to develop new blood vessels is an essential function. Uh, And then they also regulate function um, and in particular regulate something called nitric oxide, which causes blood vessel dilation. Uh, and is an essential part of endothelial function. It was the hope in studying this in a paediatric population then that it could serve as a, as a good marker for how bad the disease is going to be in children. So my first question was, is this even relevant in children or is this something that's just for adults and I'll stop looking there? So the first thing I found is that, yes, it is different and very relevant in children. So I started with a cohort of children with pulmonary hypertension from the PAH Biobank and then compared them to a cohort of overall healthy children, but with asthma because they might be symptomatically similar. And then I did an ELISA assay for IGF-1 and IGF-BP2 on all of those. And then first step was to just compare, are these different? It was. So the thing that was interesting was that IGF binding protein was very high in our pulmonary hypertension population, and IGF-1 was actually extremely low in the pulmonary hypertension population. And that started me down this mechanistic pathway, because IGF binding protein primarily functions to bind IGF-1. And it's usually considered just a reservoir for IGF-1 in the blood. IGF-1 is otherwise very quickly degraded. So that started me down this path of, is this some kind of mechanistic feedback loop where they have more IGF binding protein, they're binding up all of their IGF-1, 
and now they don't have enough IGF-1 for proper vascular growth and proper heart function. And we know from animal studies that, well, if you completely knock out IGF-1, your animal won't make it to term. But if you partially knock it out, your mouse model will die of heart failure. So the next thing that we looked at was within our kids with pulmonary hypertension, they've all had a lot of phenotyping done. We've got their usual stuff, their age, their sex, but we also have their invasive hemodynamics. So I then went and we did linear regressions and figured out, are these markers associated with any of these vascular hemodynamics? And those are especially important because that's essentially how we define and diagnose pulmonary hypertension. So uh, we found that for IGF binding protein 2, when their IGF binding protein 2 went up, their pulmonary vascular resistance went up. And it went up quite substantially by uh, about five Woods units. And to put that in perspective, anything above three Woods units would diagnose you with pulmonary hypertension. Their mean pulmonary artery pressure went up by about eight and a half millimeters mercury when their IGF binding protein 2 went up. And a normal pulmonary artery pressure across the population is only about 14. And anything above 20 gets you a diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension. So to take a kid that's normal, give them some extra IGF BP2, and then suddenly expect their mean pulmonary artery pressure has gone up that much, you've taken a kid from normal to disease just with that one change. Hmm. And do you think you've got evidence that it is the IGF binding protein 2 that's causing those changes to the to, to the heart's functioning or is it just a very strong association or do we not know right now all i can tell you is it's a strong association i think that there is a mechanistic association happening here i just haven't proven it yet in light of this really strong association with igf bp2 do you think we can take aim at that as a, a, a therapeutic means to treat pulmonary hypertension i hope so eventually. It's a pretty extensive axis. There's IGF-1 and IGF-2, which are the main growth factors. There are receptors, which can have some independent function. And then there's actually seven binding proteins, IGF-BP1 through IGF-BP7. And we'd have to have, I think, a good understanding of all of their function in pulmonary hypertension before pursuing that as a mechanistic or treatment target because, especially in children, these are fundamentally major growth factors. So to start messing with these proteins, as it were, in children especially, I think could be, you'd have to be extremely, extremely careful. One place where I think would be a little bit easier to use them, and this is hopefully next steps, would be to look further at this as a diagnostic and prognostic measure for children in pulmonary hypertension. IGF-BP2 certainly has strong associations with worse hemodynamics, with six-minute walk distance, which is a standard test. The kids with a higher IGF-BP2 walked 140 meters less, as well as a strong association with mortality. So it's potentially a non-invasive marker that we can follow for more severe outcomes or more severe disease in pulmonary hypertension. And the big benefit for that in pediatrics is, as I, uh, I mentioned, that pulmonary hypertension is a diagnosis made by cardiac catheterization. In adults, this is not really that big of a deal. 
they're big, they have big vessels, they don't even need anesthesia for this kind of procedure. In kids, and especially babies, especially premature babies, this is a lot more high risk. And to put just one more perspective on that, a lot of places after a cardiac cath on any kid with pulmonary hypertension, they often are recovering in the ICU because they're at such high risk. These are some of the most vulnerable kids in the hospital. So any procedure involving anesthesia, et cetera, for them is inherently high risk. That was Dr. Megan Griffiths from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And that's it for this episode of Pediapod. We'll be back again next month, so please join us again then. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com